This morning we're going to continue our study on spiritual gifts and, 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 and we're calling it Gifted Kids. Embracing, expressing, and experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've been looking for the last few weeks uh, at, at five gifts in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. This morning we're going to look at the gift of the evangelist. Now I want to remind you this morning that uh, a spiritual gift is a divine enablement that often empowers a person to multiply in a few minutes, a few hours, or a few days miraculous results that would probably take a larger group months or years to do if they could even do it. And the gift of the evangelist is one such spiritual gift. Now we know from our study in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 that this passage introduces to us some very special gifts that Jesus gave us and gave to the church. That These gifts are ministries and offices specifically in this passage, but... They are also indicative of the fact that if an individual was going to occupy these ministries, then they also possessed a corresponding gift. And so we've looked at the gift of the apostle who had the apostolic gift. We've looked at the gift of the uh, prophet who had the prophetic gift. And this morning we're going to look at the gift of the evangelist who had the the evangelist gift. I want to read the passage, and, and I'm not going to cover all the gifts in the passage. It's going to strictly stick with, with what we're dealing with this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, it says, For he, and, and that he there is, is Jesus Christ, he gave some as evangelists for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We, we've talked about this in the past, but, but the gifts continue until Jesus returns because it will only be at the time Jesus returns that we will meet the criteria of the latter parts of verse 11, 12, and 13. That is, that the body of Christ be built up until all of us, not just a few of us, not just a handful of super spiritual Christians, but all of us attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature. That means we become, not that we become perfect, but that we become mature. We've become fully grown in Christ to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ in other words we will attain the stature of Jesus in a sense we will we be filled with Jesus Christ and one of the gifts that uh, that Paul mentions is the gift of the evangelist the evangelist uh, is one of the gifts that will help bring the church into this fullness will help bring the body into this mature stature Now, I've chosen this morning to use the terminology of the gift of the evangelist instead of the gift of evangelism. And and there's a reason for that. There's a lot of confusion sometimes when you you talk about evangelism and evangelists and all those things. And the reason for it, though, is every one of us, each one of us here this morning, have been given a mandate to evangelize, to be involved in the work of evangelism. And, And all evangelism is is sharing the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. But certain individuals among us, certain people are gifted with the gift of the evangelist, which means they have been endowed with a supernatural empowerment of the gift of the evangelist. They, they, they are able to share the gospel and, and, and miraculous things take place. Numbers of people come to Christ. Now, all of us 
are commanded to share the gospel. That's, that's a part of, of what we're supposed to do. That's a part of the Christian life. That's a part of, of the mandate that Jesus gave his disciples and his followers there in Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples. A part of making disciples is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So we don't have an excuse not to evangelize. But there are individuals in the church who are gifted supernaturally gifted with this gift of evangelist. Uh, Therefore, when they share the gospel, things happen. So to appreciate the gift of the evangelist, we have to understand exactly what the word means, where, where it comes from. And an evangelist was someone who brings good news. Literally, the, the church took it and they made it, uh, uh, they, they took the word and, and they Christianized it. And they, they, they used it to mean good news, but even more so, it meant God's story or the Christ message. And so they transformed that, that, that word, euangelion, which was a, was a, a secular term, into a, a distinctively New Testament word. Jesus came preaching, according to Scripture, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Which, which represented and meant that the, the, the kingdom of God had come to earth in the person of the king, who was Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was the, was the visible representation of all that meant. Every sermon he preached, every lesson he taught, every person he healed, the, the blind, the, the lame, the lepers, the ones that were deaf, the ones with issues of blood, uh, it, it demonstrated that 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 he was the king. Every miracle he performed, when he walked on the water, when he when he spoke to the storms and they ceased to blow, it declared that the king was there. That the the gospel of the kingdom, the good news, the God story of the kingdom was was manifesting in in, in history at that moment. And so, as he performed those things, as he proclaimed, and as he demonstrated, or he illustrated, he was illustrating the kingdom of God, which was present with God's people. And this gospel, this good news, was the message of redemption. It was the message of liberation. It was the message of salvation. It was the message of freedom, forgiveness, sonship, and full acceptance by God. It was more than just walk an aisle. Kneel at an altar, pray a prayer. It was, it was a totally different lifestyle that was being communicated. It, the, the beginning of it was the acceptance of the king. But then you learned how to live with the king and walk with the king and represent the king. That's what the gospel is. That's what the good news is. And Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, it was God-centered. It wasn't man-centered. And it focused on the work that God the Father was doing through the person of God the Son, who was Jesus Christ, in the power of God the Holy Spirit. The word euangelion proclaimed the redemptive activity of God bound up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what is the good news? If, 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 if I were to ask you this morning, what is the good news? What, what would you, how, would you, how would you share that? How would you respond to that? Well, the, the good news is it's the amazing witness of something that happened historically over 2,000 years ago, but is still bringing unsearchable fruit. It's still bearing fruit in the presence. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who was very God 
and very man died for our sins on the cross 20 centuries ago. He was buried, and Scripture tells us that, uh, that he arose on the third day. Now, a part of this good news is that God the Father can then accept his son's sacrifice as the full satisfaction for our guilt, for our sin. And if we then reach forth by faith, which is a gift from God, literally, it's not something we work up, it's not something we manufacture, it's a gift from God. But if we reach forth by faith to receive Christ as our personal Savior, then what happens is God declares us righteous. And it's not through any merit, it's not through uh, anything that I've done or that you will do, but it's through the merits of what Jesus did through his shed blood on the cross. Now, what that means is that we're no longer exposed to the penalty of the law that we have broken. The, the Romans chapter uh, 6, chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 8, 1 says that there is therefore no condemnation. For those who are in Christ. And and literally what that means is there is therefore no longer any penalty for our sins. The penalty has been done away with. So so we're no longer exposed to the penalty of of God's law. Because Jesus fulfilled it for us. Jesus suffered in our place. And because of that we are granted full sonship or, or daughtership in God's divine family. Now, as as we come to understand that more fully, and we understand what the gospel's implications are, then all of a sudden we begin to rejoice in in a pardon for the past, but we also gain strength for the present through uh, the life-giving ministry of of the Spirit who indwells us. We, We learn how to walk in the Spirit. That's a part of the gospel of good news. We begin to learn to walk in the Spirit. And then there's within all of us, not just pardon from the past, not just uh, learning to walk in the, in, the, in the power of the indwelling spirit, but there's a living hope for the future. All of that together is what the euangelion is, is what the good news is. That's the gospel. And that's the message that Jesus has given all of us to share. Not just people who are uh, gifted with the gift of, an, of the evangelist. He's given it to every believer. We all have a story to tell. We all have a message to share about what God has done for us. That's the good news personalized in us. And with that, we share that, you know what, we've been forgiven for sins. And God can forgive your sins. We learn to live it by walking with Jesus in the power of His Holy Spirit. All of those things are part of the message. But... The gift of the evangelist enables a person to share this very same message with greater effectiveness. The gift of of the evangelist is a special ability. Literally, it's a supernatural ability of proclaiming the gospel effectively to unbelievers so that people respond to the claims of Christ in conversion and in discipleship. It's not just conversion. It's discipleship as well. It's a gift that that carries two parts. The the conversion and the discipleship. Evangelism, Evangelism and discipleship go together. And the gift of, of the evangelist makes converts and disciples of, of those people so that they can become responsible members of the body of Christ. Now many successful missionaries and church planners 
are, are very often gifted with the gift of the evangelist. Not, not every missionary and not every church planner. But it, it, it does tend to be a gift that, that missionaries and church planners have. And they're, they're not just simply soul winners. I want you to understand that. When we think about the good news, we think of, of people coming to Christ. But, but the good news carries the idea, the, the, the evangelism carries the idea of not just winning souls, but transforming those souls into converts who become fully formed disciples of Christ. Now, the person with the gift of the evangelist lives their life with the same passion that the great missionary T.C. Studd, who served in China and African India, voiced. He, he once said, some want to, to, to live within the sound of church bells or, or chapel bells. But he said, I want to run to a, a rescue ship within a yard of hell. Now, I want you to listen to that again. Let me read it again. Some want to live within the sound of the church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue ship within a a yard of hell. In other words, he wanted to be where the action was. He wanted to be where where people are are making those decisions. They're, They're at that place where it's the edge, where their decision determines their eternal destination. And so that, that's, the, that's, that's the heart of an evangelist. Man, they want to go where the people are. They're passionate about people. This gift makes you passionate about seeing people come to Christ and following them to full maturity. I, I know some people like this. I, I have a couple of friends that, man, if, 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 you, if they knock on your door or they engage you in a conversation, they will, uh, figuratively speaking, if you crack your door, they will put their foot in it and they will share Jesus with you they're not they're not uh, overbearing they're not uh, ugly that, that's just the heart of who they are they want everyone to hear about Jesus they eat they sleep they breathe sharing the gospel the good news and their greatest pleasure in life is to introduce a person to Christ and then become a part of that transformational process that turns that person into a genuine disciple. These people understand what Jesus meant when he gave his followers this command. I've already mentioned this earlier, but in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Jesus didn't want his followers. He didn't want his disciples. And he doesn't want us just to birth babies. That's, that's what conversion is. Conversion is the birth of, of, of new Christians into the kingdom of God. But you know what? He wants us to develop those babies, to help those babies grow and mature. And he wants us to feed those babies because he wants them to become disciples. And, and as you become a disciple, you grow into maturity, grow into fullness. Babies starve to death. On their own. Natural babies do. And so do spiritual babies. But mature men and women learn how to to get their own food. How to feed themselves. And they learn to sustain themselves. And the only way that any man or woman who's born into the kingdom. can, Can develop into a mature disciple. Is for someone else to assist them. And so Jesus tells us here in Matthew 28. He says I want you to go make disciples. I want you to convert folks. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to teach them all that I have taught you. I want you to to teach them everything I've commanded you to do. Everything means everything. 
Everything that Jesus did, he wants us then to teach the next generation. And the next generation. And the next generation. We've got to turn babies into mature men and women. We've got to, we've got to turn newborns into to fully functioning disciples. And that's what a, an evangelist, a person with this gift, that's what they eat, sleep, and breathe. Now, many of us have a picture of an evangelist as, as someone who comes to town and who preaches a, a gospel message, a series of gospel messages during a, a series of meetings. But, but that's, that's just one small aspect of what an evangelist, a person with the gift of the evangelist is. Some do that, but in all different areas of, 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 of our society. But their heart passion is just to share Jesus and then see that person come to maturity. In Acts 21, verse 8, Philip is called an evangelist. He is, he's one of the, the, the only persons who's called an evangelist in Scripture. And he definitely, there's no doubt, that he had this gift. In, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul admonishes Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. If you're going to do the work of an evangelist, it's likely that you probably have the gift of the evangelist. So along with Ephesians chapter 4, 11, these are the only biblical passages concerning this particular word. But we can make some inferences based on Acts chapter 8, which gives us a couple of snapshots into the ministry of Philip the evangelist. So I want to encourage you to read this chapter later and see if what I share this morning is not clearly and plainly spoken or implied. Now, first of all, the gift of the evangelist proclaims the full gospel. That is, the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That's Acts 8, verse 12. These gifted people clearly understand the gospel. And they understand that it's not man-centered. They understand that it's God-centered. That is, it's, a, it's fully a work of grace from God. They understand that, that, when a, that, that sin uh, brings death. They understand that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there, there's not one of us that hadn't sinned. They understand that. They understand the futility of religion, of, of practicing rituals and, and those kind of things, thinking that will make us better so that, that, that eventually, somehow, some way, we can, we can, our goodness can equal out our, our sin. They understand that that's futility. They also understand that the redemption for sin requires atonement. That is, it requires blood. They understand that that, 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 that substitute has to be a perfect life given voluntarily in place of the imperfect and the flawed. And that's what Jesus did. He became a blood sacrifice for each one of us. He gave himself in our place. He substituted himself for us. And that's what, that's what the substitutionary atonement of Jesus truly means. And a person who, who has this gift understands that. And they understand what Jesus meant when, he, when, when, when he, he would come and he would begin to share about his love and the love of God and, and, but about the sin of man. He, they understood that, that, that that's the guilty for God's justice to be satisfied. They understand that. They also understand repentance. They understand that repentance is, is more than just turning and, and, and going a different direction. It's 
turning and returning. It's, it's a, a turn, but it's also a return to God. So they understand repentance. They understand forgiveness. They understand salvation and redemption. And they understand sonship. You see, it, it's not just about getting saved. It's not just about coming through the front door of God's house. It's about learning to, to access all of God's house. And that's what a son or a daughter does. And they know how to communicate this message so that everyone they speak to understands it. They can take this, this very simple message and they can, they can tell it in different ways using different illustrations. And every time they tell it, it's powerful. They can take the Old Testament, they can take the New Testament, and they can proclaim Jesus. They have an innate ability to turn any conversation to an occasion to share Jesus. Now, I've seen I've seen individuals. It was just it was amazing to watch them engage someone in conversation, and then just literally in a few moments, they would be sharing Jesus, and that person would be hanging on every word they said it wasn't contrived it wasn't fake it was real they t- they listened to the person they were talking to they 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 understood from what that person was saying what was going on in their lives and then god just gave them the ability to turn the conversation it went from whatever they were talking about to their need for jesus that's what philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch. If you remember, he said he comes up beside the chair and says, Hey, what, what are you reading? He said, Well, I'm reading about this, but I don't understand it. Well, the next thing you know, Philip's in the in the chariot with him. He's explaining it. He's explaining exactly what the what the eunuch was reading. And, and it wasn't long before, hey, they were stopped by a little pool of water. This this official from Ethiopia had given his life to Jesus Christ and, and Philip baptized him. So A person who has the gift of the evangelist proclaims the full gospel. It's it's not just how to get into the kingdom, but but it's how to live in the kingdom. And it's how to to become not just a a, a partaker of the kingdom, but also someone who demonstrates and declares the kingdom. And so Philip is a good example of of someone who, who preached the kingdom of God and also the name of Jesus. Now also, number two, person with the gift of evangelist seeks out lost people. It's interesting. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 8 verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now Philip was a Jew. And if you know anything about uh, biblical history and biblical geography, Samaria was uh, was a was north of, of Judah, it was north of Jerusalem, but it was comprised of individuals that had been brought in by the king of Assyria when he destroyed the ten northern tribes. Typically what they would do is when they overtook a country or a kingdom, they would take the residents, all except the poorest ones, they would take them off to their kingdom and repopulate them somewhere else and they would bring others in from other countries and populate them with what was left of the civilization. And then typically what would happen is they would intermarry and they would lose their distinctiveness and they didn't cause any trouble. And that's what Samaria was. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. They weren't really Jews. 
And so they would do everything they could to not go to Samaria. If they went to Samaria, if they had to step into Samarian soil when they crossed back into to Jewish uh, portions and, and Jewish districts, they would, they would spit and they would knock their feet off. They would knock the dust off. And yet Philip realizes that, hey, you know what? They're lost people. I haven't heard the gospel. I'm going to the city of Samaria. I'm going to the capital city, ground zero. Now, that's because they have a consuming passion for people who have yet to meet Jesus Christ. These kind of people, as I said earlier, become missionaries because their hearts are are drawn to people who've not heard the gospel. They become church planters out of a compulsion to share the message and to teach people to walk in maturity of Christ. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over and over and over again because a genuine evangelist, someone with this gift, not only wants to see converts, they want to see fully formed disciples. And so they're willing to leave the crowds and to go after one. Just one, if the Lord so leads. It's interesting. When Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to preach, man, revival breaks out. There, there are healings. There are miracles. I mean, they're, they're coming from everywhere to hear Philip preach. I mean, in ministry, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, people are filling the, the you know, I, I don't, they, they didn't have church buildings, but if they had them or they were in a, in a, you know, in a, in a stadium, they would have been walking the aisles and filling the altar areas. But literally, people were coming to Christ in droves. And yet, the Spirit of God takes hold of Philip's heart. And he, he, said, he, he takes Philip from the revival where literally hundreds and hundreds are being saved. He takes him and they go 50 miles down a desert road in the middle of nowhere to share the gospel with one royal official who's traveling back to Ethiopia. This gift carries a deep compassion and an intense passion for people. Whether it's a group or whether it's just one, they're willing to go. They're willing to share. They're willing to do whatever God wants them to do so that the gospel of the kingdom can go forth. So a person with this gift seeks out lost people. They look for them. The sad thing about most of us in the church is, is that most of us don't know very many lost people. It's interesting, when we get saved, we know a lot of lost people. But the the longer we follow Christ, the more we kind of draw inward into kind of sort of what some people would call a holy huddle. We don't spend any time with lost people, for the most part. A person with this gift spends all their time, for the most part, with lost people. Because they are looking to make converts and disciples. Number three. The gift of the evangelist carries with it an amazing boldness and an amazing courage. They are, these people are fearless. These individuals are not afraid of people. They're drawn to people. If you're an, an introvert, uh, you probably won't have this gift. Most of these people are, are extroverts. They're, they can talk with anybody. I've, I've got some family members that can talk with anybody. And they can, they can strike up a conversation with a total stranger. That's a part of this gift. And what happens is they build relationships with lost people. They don't, they don't just go in and, and knock that person down and block their escape and share the gospel with them. They don't, they don't go looking for scaps. 
What they go is they go to build relationships. And they build relationships. And it's through those relationships with those lost people that those lost people are drawn to Christ. And they're willing, you know what? They're willing to go into areas, dark areas, that most believers refuse to travel in because they feel the lostness and they're compelled to do something about it. They're willing to go to the bars. They're willing to go to the missions. They're willing to go downtown and talk with the street people. They're willing to, to go to those places where, where nobody else wants to go because they're afraid. These people are fearless. The gift of the evangelist also sees tremendous results when they share the gospel. I mentioned this early. People come to Jesus in droves when they share the gospel. They're persuasive and they share the gospel with supernatural intensity. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not, it's not slick salesmanship. It's a gift. But their real joy comes when a new convert becomes a passionate disciple. They're interested in evangelism and discipleship as a means to an end, which is really maturity in Christ. That, that's their goal. They want every person to find maturity in Christ, which is exactly what the, uh, the Apostle Paul remember tells us is the goal in Ephesians chapter 4. You remember when we read that earlier? It, it was so that, that every individual, every believer could attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God till they become a, a mature person, a mature adult to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Salvation of souls is not enough for them. They long to disciple those souls who've been converted and send them back into the field to preach gospel. the gospel. They reproduce Christians, okay? They reproduce themselves in the lives, and they reproduce Christ in the lives of those that, that they have a part in their conversion. So this gift has a, a teaching aspect to it. That is, they teach people what the good news really is. They don't just teach that, you know, you've got to pray a prayer. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sinfulness. No, they, they take them from that into what it means to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. What it means to, to live out your life. What it means to have a relationship with Jesus. What it means to, to walk in the fullness of, of the promises that Jesus has given us and, and that he died for. What it means to be a son or a daughter of God. It has a teaching aspect to it. And they, they teach because they, they want to impart the full message of Jesus. And they want the person that they have a part in bringing to Christ to have the same relationship that Jesus promised. They want them to have all that Jesus promised. And wherever these people go, the kingdom of God grows. They see the schools, they see the, the, the sports parks, they see the workplace, they see the marketplace, they see all those things as mission fields. They're, they're fertile places to carefully sow and to water and to toil and to partner with the Holy Spirit to bring forth an abundant harvest. So they, don't, they don't see secular and sacred. They just see everything is belonging to God. And so they are there to go out and to retake what already belongs to God and bring it back into the storehouse. You find this gift, not just in men, but in women. You find it in people of all ages. And you find it in people that, you know, they may work a regular job or, you know what, they may be employed by a church or a mission agency or a parachurch kind of organization. They may be ordained 
Or they may not be ordained. They may be full-time in ministry or part-time in ministry. Or in essence, nobody really knows they're in ministry, but they are. Their work may be to reach out to to just one culture. Or it may be cross-cultural or multicultural. They may serve in an existing church. Or they may be on a a team that is planning a new church. They're custodians, they're teachers, they're plumbers, they're carpenters, they're steel workers, they're CEOs, they're administrative assistants, you name it. They're evangelists. Those who are gifted with the gift of the evangelist go where the Spirit of God leads them. They go to their family members. They go to their neighbors. They, they go to the, their work associates. They go to the strangers. They go to those that live across the street or across the world. They don't mind foreign fields. The, the, to the evangelists, the message is far more important than the messenger. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, can you name someone who has this gift? I'll guarantee almost everyone in this room would name Billy Graham. And I really believe that Billy Graham has this gift. Because when he was preaching, he preached a very simple gospel message. It wasn't complex. It was very simple. It was simple in the way he presented it. But it was profound in the effects it had on people. When he shared the truth of the gospel, it supernaturally engaged thousands and thousands, thousands would come and they would fill the stadiums when he preached. I remember as a teenager, uh, going, when he came to Birmingham in the, in the early 70s, I remember going every night and sitting there in amazement and listening to the, the very simple message that he preached and then watching the aisles fill up when he gave the invitation and watching the, the, the sea of people that just thronged down to the, the altar area beside the stage. It was amazing, and I've watched him. I, to this day, I will watch him on TV and some of the old ones, and every time I, I, I hear the message, I think to myself, man, I could preach that message. But the difference is I don't have that gift that he has. When he preached that message, God did something. He used, he used Dr. Graham's gift, and he drew thousands to himself. Dr. Graham was simply obedient. He was was willing to use what God had given him. And God supernaturally just interested in seeing people come to Christ. If you know anything about his ministry, uh, you know that literally millions and millions of people have come to Christ through the stadium ministries and through his TV ministry. But it didn't stop there at that altar. It didn't stop there with that invitation. His teams, they were, there were people that were waiting. They'd been trained in how to share the gospel. They would, they would meet with people and they would pray with them and they would explain the gospel in clear terms so that every person could, could understand it. And when that person had come to Christ, then they would give them discipleship material so that they could grow and become fully functioning disciples of Christ. Not only that, they would link them up and hook them up with churches, evangelistic churches, churches that would would take them and love them and teach them. He was interested in evangelism and he was interested in discipleship. And God used him 
in a mighty way, not only to birth countless individuals into the kingdom of God, but also to disciple them into, the, into mature, effective believers who become vital parts in countless churches across this country. I'll guarantee there's somebody in our body today who came to Christ as a result of listening to Billy Graham preach. It, it, it's true in almost every church. Listen, it wasn't his personal charisma, although he, he's very charismatic. He, he, he was a, a very handsome man. He had a, a very booming voice. It wasn't his intellectual proudness, although he was a very smart individual. He was theologically trained. It wasn't even his impressive organization. No, millions of people came because he was willing to use the supernatural gift the Holy Spirit had given him. It's just that simple. He was willing to be obedient. And I believe there's, there's, there are people in our body this morning who have this same gift. And all you have to do is be obedient. You don't have to worry, what am I going to say? What if they ask me the wrong question? You know, you know what? You will answer whatever the Holy Spirit gives you. And it'll be enough. Because He's going to use that gift in you. There are people in this room with this gift this morning that God has equipped you in your own personal way. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be one of the great evangelists of, of church history. You simply have to be you, but you have to fulfill the purpose God has given you. You may be a, a workplace evangelist. You may be a, a factory evangelist. You may be a ball field evangelist. You may be a mission field evangelist or any other countless number of fields that the Lord has there kind of evangelist. But all God wants from you, the Holy Spirit will work through your gift to do the rest. Listen, the church, this church, desperately needs people gifted in this area so that you can lead the rest of us into the arena where we feel inadequate. Listen, I've gone through four or five witnessing programs. I share the gospel. I, I've done EE. I, I've done four or five others. But the reality of it is I, I, I always feel inadequate. I always feel unprepared. And I always feel inept. But you know what? I still share. And there are people all over this room this morning that feel that way. They, they know the gospel. They know what to say. But they don't feel adequate. They don't feel prepared. They don't feel ready. We need you to infect us with a passion for lost souls. We need you to, to, to share the intense love you have for those who have not yet formally been introduced to Christ yet. We need you to, to infect us. We may not have your gift, but we need to see your passion. We need you to guide us in developing strategies for reaching this community and the communities that we live in, the ones that surround this community. We need your gifts so that our gifts can be more effective. If you'll step out, God will provide the other gifts needed to make this church grow organically. Organic church growth is the way Jesus intended. He wanted people, churches to grow, not by swapping sheep. He wanted them by, to, to grow by birthing sheep, by birthing new converts, and then taking those converts and walking them, with them through the steps of maturity until they become mature. Because when they become mature, they then are healthy and they can reproduce. Sick sheep don't reproduce. Healthy sheep reproduce. This 
is the gift of the evangelist. This is the supernatural ability to proclaim the gospel effectively so that people respond to the claims of Christ in conversion and in discipleship. May God give this church, may he pour this gift out in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.